Okay. For those who actually had a chance to read it last week, uh, did you enjoy the read? Yeah, she's a great writer. So it's a lot of fun. Carol Holter said, what did, what did you say to me last week? One, you lost sleep over it. Couldn't stop reading it. I know. All right, well, great. Well, um, I, I have a little handout, and uh, there's a couple things. I just want to remind you, fun things to check out, her blog, Conversion Diary, and then also the little web series, Minor Revisions. So, because they're kind of fun. Get to know a little bit more. One of the things, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, spoiler alert, for those who've read uh, this Joe guy that is introduced into the story, you don't really find too much about Joe throughout the book. And, I mean... You do a little bit, but I don't think not enough. Let's put it that way. So uh, the web series actually would be one to, to watch because you get to know a little bit more about Joe. Oh, to watch? To watch, yeah. The web series, it's YouTube. It's on YouTube. Well, it's on some... Uh, uh, go to YouTube. It's the easiest thing to access it. Joe, well, Joe, I mean, he sounds very interesting, doesn't he? He sounds like, he sounds like this guy. I mean, like, holy smokes. Almost like the perfect guy, right? I mean, yeah, he's a pretty good guy. So, I'll just, I'll say that. No, yeah, it, what's, it, what's interesting is their, uh, their discussion of kind of their, you know, church hopping and all that. It's, it was just interesting to get his outlook on things, but. Um, that's all I'm going to say. I don't know what else to say. I'm a guy. What else do I say? Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I'm recommending for you to watch it, so I don't have to talk about it. So you can figure it out yourself. And All right. Anyways, I, I, uh, someone said that to me. Someone said that they wish they knew a little bit more about Joe. So, Okay. Uh, from last week, I asked, well, I asked two questions, but we're not going to really deal with the second one because I, I don't think we have enough time. So... One of the things was in the first, actually the first like two, I couldn't get past the two pages and I realized, oh my gosh, there's too much to talk about. So we're going to just kind of talk about the first 33 pages, but kind of kind of hone in on uh, her experience at the camp. Um, From last week, I asked you guys to think about uh, how does coercion play in, in her story and what would be the antidote? to her experience. It wasn't very positive, right? I mean, it was, it was kind of an awful, awful experience. So, um, so what did coercion do to her? Cindy. Oh, I just made her decide she was an atheist. Okay. <laughs> yeah, all right, interesting. Yeah. We were raised Presbyterian, but we didn't, you know, go around asking Jesus. Is 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 the Lord speaking to your heart today? They would go through the group. This was in the seventies, I think. They'd go through the group and ask people when they were saved, and she would make up some story. And she admitted that she made up the story, and then she stopped going to church after high school. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a it's a fascinating little scenario. It's fascinating for a couple reasons. Uh, just the like the, just just the reality of it. 
But on top of that is the fact that this is actually connected with lots of people. So it's not like some random experience. It is something that's kind of pervasive. And we're going we're gonna to just kind of explore some of the actually anti-Christian and anti-Bible realities of, of what you experienced today. But we're going to talk about something more positive, too, though. So, uh, Okay, good. Interesting. Yes, part of what happened, uh, what coercion did to her was basically solidify any, any opportunity for her to, to uh, you know, just kind of question the reality of, or uh, the, the existence of God. It, it basically shut the door. Yeah, Elizabeth, what else? Yeah. Yeah, right. A lot of love in this chapter, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so, so not only kind of um, personally, like her, her kind of, you know, is she going to relate to God or not? No. But then actually in her own kind of personal life, she had no relations with anybody who would be considered Christian. And, you know, eventually... Uh, when she goes to college, she doesn't, she can't, she, is, she does not want anything to do with it. But originally, up through 11, through basically kind of junior high, high school, she moved around, so it was kind of not a, a continuous experience. But uh, originally, it was the, the Christian kids who separated themselves from her. So, yeah. But she was a little bit exacted, too, you know, with green hair and so <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was later though. That would have been her high school. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, which she she talks about her eleven year old experience, acid wash jeans, and I actually didn't quote that because I'm a guy. Because you know I'm like whatever. There we go. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I you know, because she's she's yeah she's highly in my age. She's I think we're the same age, or she's maybe a year younger or something like that, but. So I'm like, oh, I did all that stuff too. I changed my bangs to Georgia. Yes. <laughs> Those were the good days. Rolling up your acid wash jeans, wearing a body glove t-shirt, Varney, Ocean Pacific shorts. Uh, what else did we, our guest jeans would have been like the, ooh, reliving the old times. Yes. Okay. Anywho. Um, yeah. Now, uh, yeah, but her green hair, whatever her, yeah, green hair. And then when she became uh, a, a, a professional, she kind of had to tone it down. She had to change. Red hair. Red with black. Now, red hair, I think we're thinking like, you know, red like Gretchen's shirt, but it's it, it, her hair. If, so you watch the web series, you get to see some of these pictures. It was, you know, it's it's kind of like this unnatural, natural red coloring. <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, crayon red. I think it's really interesting that as a young person, she could both identify something that felt forced and, and authentic. Right. Like an 11-year-old could sense that something was not right there. Sure. And yet she also, even at a young age, could sense that something else was missing. In her right. Too. Which is amazing for an 11 or 12-year-old. 
Yeah, which is actually, I don't think, uncommon. Developmentally speaking, that, that's actually about the appropriate time where, uh, well, at 11-year-old, abstract thinking is beginning to kind of kick in. Um, it does. It begins in the upper elementary school age, but the so the, the you know abstract thinking is thinking about thinking, and so she has been thinking about what her belief systems are, what her worldview is, and so that, that's pretty that's pretty pretty common. The thing was is that she's probably a little bit more mature in a sense, and that that's I think related to some of her, her family. And her life experiences. I mean, she's kind of lived all over, and, and by that, she's had to kind of, you know, typical, you know, if you're raised in one spot, you make friends, you know, you're, you're not really making friends all the time. You just have your friends. And so she's moving throughout, so she has to interact, she has to grow, she has to figure things out. And so that's a little bit of her, but it also is, that's about the right time. It's about the right time, junior high-ish, when... Uh, Kids think about thinking, and um, you know I probably could ask all you guys. I mean, wh- whether you actually had a, a well, the universe is huge and I'm so small kind of experience. You probably had some sort of existential experience in your early childhood experience, or uh, in your childhood experience, early years. Like, yeah, because I know. Uh, well, I, you know, I had an experience like the camp experience, you know, do you believe in Jesus and accept him? Because that was the church tradition I grew up in. And uh, so, yeah, I really kind of, that was at seven. So I know I had that kind of uh, experience. And I remember one time in Awana. I know, I know, I like, I like Awana. I mean, Awana is, because uh, Awana done right is just simply <laughs> learning scripture by heart, but. But, you know, of course, so, yeah, that has nothing to do with a while. I shouldn't even mention it. So, uh, but there was a woman who dressed up like the devil. Now, this was at, a, uh, at this un- unnamed thing that I won't say because I don't want to give it a bad reputation. Um, it was on a Wednesday night at church. <laughs> Involved running around in circles and knocking pins down. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's only 4 o'clock, yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, yes. Um, yeah, and this uh, woman, I, I know who she is. I, I, I still remember her name. She dressed up like the, the devil, and she, well, the, the stereotypical, you know, you know, the horns and the tail and the pitchfork, yes, yes. It was, it was kind of startling for me, but I, I said to myself, I'm like, this is kind of weird. Yeah. I was like, this doesn't seem right. However, though, I didn't want to go to hell. I mean, who wants to go to hell? <laughs> Which I find that's one of the most fascinating, actually, things in the story for me, is how she understood hell. And she understood hell not so much for hell's sake, but the antithesis of what she was experiencing. And if it's the antithesis of what she was experiencing, then it's not so bad. Most of my family will be there, and you won't be there. So I, uh, that sounds good. Now remind me why that's a bad thing. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I experienced that from a personal experience, and I, I remember saying to myself, well, this, this can't be right, but I also don't want to go to hell. So I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart. 
So I said, Jesus in my heart on the steps of my, my house. And I said it a few other times after that, just because I wasn't <laughs> sure if I, the first one stuck. So, um, But yeah, so that was seven. And you know, so I think I, you know, her experience at 11, I felt like, well, that, that happens. When I was late junior high, so I grew up Missouri Synod Lutheran, so we didn't have any of this. You didn't have any of that. Is the Lord speaking to your heart today? So that was super interesting and attractive to me because I had a friend who went to the Assembly of God. Of yeah, in Naperville? Like, Calvary Church? Wednesday nights, and my parents amazingly indulged me. Like, like sure, yeah, I guess you could spend worse, go to worse things. That's things, right. right. So for a year... You go down and hang out with those acid wash kids. On Wednesday night where people's legs were growing and people were speaking in tongues. And yeah. it, it was just like... I, at first, I was just so taken in by it because it was so anti. But then I started to initially feel like I was not an authentic Christian. You right. You get that feeling that you aren't a good, a good enough Christian. Right. And then oddly, towards the end of the year, I started to think that we had it right after, after all. Yeah. I started to feel that this was because they wanted me to always come and you want to do something, yeah. And it ended with going to this youth thing where they were, they were, everyone was being called to the front, and I kept praying repeatedly that God would let me speak in tongues. Like, Please, like, let this be the day that I speak in tongues, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I got to the front hoping the magic would happen, and I just actually started laughing. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Right. But it took a whole year for me to figure that yeah. out. Yeah. And I never went back. Yeah. I just thought, actually, what we do at our church just felt more, it didn't feel coarse, it just felt more authentic. Right. Personally. Yeah. It took a year of wondering a little bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> Comparing the two. Now, what was interesting about Kirby's story is it does mimic Fulweiler's story in a sense that she didn't question whether she was a good Christian or not. But what did she question? Was she a like a valid human being? Now she said a good person, but if you, I mean, if you read her description, she's like just describing a normal person. It, you know, was she a normal person or was she something less? And um, so that you have to think about that. Anyways, all right, great. Well, uh, coercion plays a lot of different things, but let's talk about Jesus for a second and how does Jesus handle coercion in chapel? I read from Matthew chapter 22, 23 through 30. Well, I didn't read all the story. I didn't read all of it, just the first part, which is actually the gospel reading for this Sunday. Um, So, yeah, I'm just going to read it real quick. Because Jennifer Fulweiler's question behind her question is, you know, why should I believe Tippy? Why should I believe her? So, uh, 23, and we're just going to read up through 27. Matthew 21. Did I put 22? I, I've, done, I've done that all single, all week. I, can't, I, keep, I keep asking Pastor Beeks, I'm like, what is that, Matthew 22? And he keeps saying, no, Matthew 21. So Matthew 21, 23 through 33. Although, what would be Matthew 22? That might work too, but. Oh, yeah, the Sadducees. That's actually pretty good too, because. That is, uh, yeah, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God, which I actually do quote later. But we want to talk about Jesus' authority. And when Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, 
By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. All right, so a couple things here is, um, first of all, these chief priests and these elders are coming up to Jesus to ask a question that apparently everybody already knows the answer to. Now, in this time in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has now entered into Jerusalem, which is kind of traditionally known as the triumphal entry. And during that entry, we have all these people saying, uh, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, you have all these people who are saying, this guy is like the Messiah. Of course, you know, six days later, they'll change their mind. But the, well, and you have to ask why, but um, the Pharisees now are coming up, I'm sorry, not the Pharisees, chief priests and the elders are coming up and kind of pressuring Jesus into this public situation. They want an answer. They need an answer from Jesus. So it, they're not asking the same question as Tippy asked Jennifer, but they are trying to coerce Jesus into something that is absolutely, you know, not right. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's, in a, it's a bad spot. So Jesus, of course, how does he handle the coercion? Well, by actually turning it around another with another question. So he actually doesn't engage the coercion. Which is, which is a great response. And Jesus, this is just one example. And it, I mean, you, you could uh, basically go through the Gospels and see that Jesus doesn't really, he doesn't play that game. So, but the thing is, though, how he responds to it is very important because who he's talking to is important. So if you have someone who asks a question, like a kind of a, just a regular Joe, Jesus responds to them much differently than these chief priests and elders. Chief priests and elders are people who should know. They're, they're kind of the, they would be like the, the kind of the pastors of the day. So you have a group of uh, uh, spiritual authority who are pressuring Jesus into doing something. Tippy is one of spiritual authority in the camp, and she's trying to pressure Jennifer and uh, Andrea, or the friend, whoever it was, and into, into doing something. And so Jesus doesn't engage that, but actually turns the tables on them. And they are not interested in, in what, actually? What are they actually not interested in? Okay, truth, answer, that's right. They're not really interested in the truth. They're more interested in uh, their motives or... or, or their, yeah, their, their own kind of agenda, their issue. Because they're, they're debating and their answers reveal. Because Jesus asked, if you, give, if you give what, I will answer you. What, what does he say there? This is, is important. Jesus answered, I will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, what, what do they give him as an answer? Yeah, a, a not, no answer. So they would, rather than being right or telling the truth about being from heaven 
or being wrong, saying it was from man. They just, they're just, because even being wrong for Jesus would be what? Good. Because he would then, he would, he would tell the truth. But they don't want to gauge that. So they, they're afraid, so they work by fear. So coercion, of course, always works by fear. And um, you probably saw that in the sub, the sub story, subplot in Jennifer's story. Okay, so, um, you know, so Jesus would, so the question about, like, why should I believe you? For, for people to believe in Jesus at this point of the story, why should people believe Jesus? Because of, because of why? Just take a random guess. Remember, we're kind of late in Matthew, so there's a variety of answers. Things he's done, right? I made the lame walk. I gave sight to the blind. Okay, that's one thing. He was studying the prophets and it seems to... Yeah, what the Bible says. Exactly. So, by his actions and by, by, by what the scriptures testify to. Or, I don't know. Okay, okay, good, excellent. So, what's interesting is, so why should I believe Jesus? Well, because of his actions because of his compassion, his love, his, his truth-telling, which would be then related to speaking the scriptures. And just keeping those two categories, I think, are enough. And there's enough you can sub-point all those. So now think about Jennifer and, and dealing with Tippy. Why should I believe you, Tippy? And just in that scenario, how, how would you answer Tippy? Like, how, be Tippy for a second. What would you say to Jennifer? It's kind of hard to be a little bit kind of diabolical, but... What would Tippy say to Jennifer if Jennifer says, you know, Tippy, why should I, why should I believe you? Uh, yeah, Jennifer, so Jennifer is being coerced by Tippy, as Jesus is trying to be coerced by the chief priests and the elders. How would Jennifer kind of respond to Tippy in these circumstances? I've never had a girl not get saved. He doesn't really work for her. No. Yeah, what would what would be a more truthful response for Tippy, or or what would be her genuine response, which I think would not would be the wrong response, but would, uh, okay. So what, how would Jennifer ask a question? Meaning, mean so Jennifer can ask a question. Tippy, why should I believe you about this scenario, about this getting saved, not going to heaven, going to hell? Well, yeah. So what should Tippy say back to her? Oh, <laughs> okay. So Tippy's response would say, this is what the Bible says. Right. So this is what the Bible says. But most people who are atheists would say the Bible is wrong. Exactly. That's no, that's no real response for most people. Right. Why would they believe it? So let's go back to Jesus' answer. Why would I believe you, Jesus. And actually, Jesus has actually asked that question in a different form by John the Baptist's disciples. They come to him and say, you know, are you the one? Which is basically, you know, should we, you know, why should we believe you? And what does Jesus say? What's his first response, actually? Tell him what you've seen. Exactly. So for the atheist, or someone who's just considering Christianity, Strictly speaking, in terms of the Bible, again, call me crazy. 
I, I, I think the Bible's pretty spot on here. Um, Tippy's response, which I think, I think Nancy hit it right on the head, nail on the head. Uh, this is what the Bible says. For Jennifer means absolutely nothing because Tippy has no authority to speak what the Bible says. Now, I'm not, necess- I'm not talking about pastoral authority. I'm just talking about authority in terms of how Jesus works. Jesus has the authority, of course, because it's been given to him from the Heavenly Father. But for the average person, they see Jesus doing all these things, this, this life, this life. And if someone does that, then maybe I should pay attention. Maybe I should just kind of give them a little, give them a hearing. And so, Tippy, throughout the week, though, of course, is she establishing that relationship with Jennifer, based on just Jennifer's story? No, not, not right. I mean, absolutely not. In fact, Jennifer wasn't even interested in going to the camp for this very reason, which is another kind of a sad result of the coercion, right? She thought she was going to camp for fun. The brochure said, you don't even have to be a Christian to go here. And now all this happens. Yeah. So, so the authority, the question, why should I believe you? Um, it, it, it's, a very, it's a very important question in, in our just context, but it, even in Jesus' context. And what Jesus says is, just look, look at what's going on. He doesn't say, he doesn't actually point to a Bible verse. Well, he sort of does. He, he, he points, he, he kind of quotes Isaiah, because Isaiah will say when the Messiah comes, he will, he will make the lame walk, he will give the sight to the blind. So, so it's kind of a both and. Um, but what's interesting is, so Jesus embodies the word, and Tippy does not. Words are just kind of noises coming out of her mouth. And if you, if you, you know, if you have any, I, you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, that, that, that kind of resonates with um, what some, some people say about Christians. They just, they're babblers. I had a coworker who was overtly Christian at the office. Yes. But in a good way, not, not necessarily, not like. Not in Tippy's way? Not Tippy's way. And it was interesting because um, people, she was, she handled herself with a very high level of integrity and was well respected. Well, she left and it was interesting because a non-believer, I think she might have even been Jewish or something, said to her, I don't believe what you believe, but you obviously have something different. Right. Yeah. Like, I respect there's something, ob- it was intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It's intriguing to the non-believer when you see something. Right. Like, so just exactly what you're saying, with no amount of pamphlet thing, or, but it was her actions that made people. Right. Sit up and take notice, I think, that she had something they didn't have. Now, and if you read far enough into the book, Jennifer has this experience with someone. Who would that have been? And it's why you want to know more about him. It's with Joe. And this guy, he's a Yale graduate, Stanford graduate, and he believes in Jesus? What? Now, his faith might have been, uh, uh, you know, pretty, pretty uh, simple, but it caused her to wonder. All right, now here's the thing, though. Uh, another thing, though, in this scenario, not only coercion, but uh, heaven and hell are used as a threat. Uh, that, that's how the coercion is. Don't you want to go to heaven? Don't you, don't you want to, like, not go to hell? What is interesting, though, is the question is, um, are you 100% certain 
that you'll go to heaven if you die today? I think that was the question. I wrote it down. Are you 100% certain that you go to heaven when you die? Now, the question is, this is kind of an interesting thing, is um, what does Jesus say about heaven? And also, this is something very, very interesting. I asked Pastor Bukes, whenever I have a question, I go to Pastor Bukes. He, he's, uh, he, 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 yeah, he's smart. Plus, Pastor Brzezik, he's always got meetings, so. <laughs> Teasing. No, no, actually, we talked about this at length. We, uh, well, interesting. Pastor Brzezik always, this is a tangent, but um, Pastor Brzezik always like, oh, man, I should, we should write these things down because these are good stories. Well, I, I think a good book would be Stories from the Vestry. Ever since we moved into the new building, I mean, there's this little, like, little uh, story time before we go out into the service and I think about I think about all the things we say well anyways this is one of the topics uh, of, of the question of the week was um, does Jesus ever actually have a does he ever like entertain a question like this if you die you know will you go to heaven so does Jesus ever say about does even Jesus say about going to heaven so this is a question does Jesus ever say, well, you, you're going to go to heaven? Okay, yeah, that's good. That's good. So, But, of course, he doesn't use the word heaven, does he? Paradise. Okay, good. Now, the other thing, too, though, is this is a very important thing, but it's a little bit hard to understand at the Thief of the Cross. What does he say about paradise uh, time-wise today? Now, of course, everyone, everyone says today, oh, well, he's going to die, and so, of course, today. Now, the other question would be, so the kingdom of heaven is talked about, in the Gospel of Matthew especially. Um, now, I wrote Mark 1, and I shouldn't have. I uh, probably should have wrote Mark or Matthew. But um, the kingdom of God is used in Mark. That was a, maybe a, a slip of, of the words. But um, when Jesus is baptized, and, and then he goes, and he goes into the... the, the 40 days in the desert, and he comes back and he starts preaching. Does anyone know off the top of your heads uh, what he says? Mark says the time is fulfilled that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand, which means, again, temporally speaking, it's now. now. This is very important for us as Christians because the promise of the heaven is exactly like the thief on the cross, it is today. So her discussion with Tippy's discussion with Jennifer is actually a half truth. But as it's articulated, it's articulated in a way that it is a what? A reward for acceptance or saying this prayer or whatever it is. Um, so heaven is not future tense, but it, it's also present tense. Next question. Think about your Bible and think about what you've been told or whatever. Is heaven an antidote to hell? If you can, you can, now there's, there is a couple things you could say. So I just want to, but you, the, the, it's interesting. Nancy. Well, hell is the absence of God. Okay. Right. So it's not necessarily the absence of God. It's the absence Yeah. Okay, good. 
That's that's right. That, that so it's it's a logical argument. It's not so. So I haven't heard a Bible though yet. So Krista. Krista, I think Jesus uh, told us how awful hell is. Right. With teeth. Yeah, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yep. But but that still doesn't make it. I mean, have an antidote. Right. An antidote is you know it's. Solve a problem. Right. Right. Now, so heaven doesn't solve the problem of hell. Now, again, this, we're being very specific here because Nancy, Nancy, Nancy's answer is a good answer, but we have to like kind of parse that out. What that means for us? It just is. Martha. Hell is you get. What you wanted, which is. All right, hang on. So hang on to Carol. Carol says, "Hell, you get what you want." Oh, this is good. Hang on. So Martha. Well, the only context I've heard the word antidote yeah. in church here is when Pastor Bruce is after you know a person has like my mother died. Right. I would receive the Lord's Supper right after that, and he would say as he's giving me the bread or the wine. Yeah. Right. The antidote to death. Yeah, oh, good job. So that's how I heard that word. That's perfect. And what are you being given? Life. Okay, good, excellent. So that goes with Nancy's question. So the idea of heaven being apart from Christ is, is just not in the Bible. Her questions, Tippy's questions, think about her questions. How much does she... Does she give an impression that heaven in, 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 this, in being with Christ... Are, are of the same thing, or are they actually at, separated from each other? Yeah, he, heaven, heaven is a place. Jesus is your ticket into heaven. So you can actually use Jesus. Give your ticket at the door. What do you do with the ticket? Exactly. This is very important for us to kind of consider. Now, I, I might be a little too cynical. Um... But I, I think Jennifer's experience is very interesting. Uh, have, uh, salvation or becoming a Christian is your, what has been known as fire insurance or your ticket into heaven. And that is anti-Christian, and that's actually anti-Bible. Now let's go to Carol's point about hell being, get, have what you get. John 3.16. No, what you want. All right, what you want. Because Jennifer's response to Tippy's coercion is she should be ashamed of herself. For, first of all, coercing an 11-year-old. Second of all, how can you be proud of a God who sends people to hell? Okay, this is very important for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life, which of course is present tense. Not post-mortem. Read the Gospel of John. Eternal life begins today, now. Okay. Um, does anyone know what John 3.17 says? See, we only know John 3.16, right? I mean, it's fine. It's like, I've heard that. I mean, I see it at the football games. In the crowd. John 3.16. Oh, yeah. Who, who, is someone reading that or from memory? 
Yeah. Oh, wow. Jesus did not to condemn the world. Now, maybe you know, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe John just made that up, because God is really around to condemn people to hell. It would seem kind of silly, or be kind of backwards, right, to condemn people to hell. Well, no, no. I mean, you're you're like some mad artist that you paint this beautiful thing, and then you're mad at the you're mad at the painting for not being good, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's the painting's fault. So it's those people's fault. The uh, what's what's the book of, uh, that we read, Holly? Uh, that was it's about the woodworker. What's that called? Yeah. Man, I can't remember. It's a nice little book. Uh, it's, I don't think it's well. You are special. It's a nice book. It's about a woodworker named Eli. I mean, it's it's not real like subtle, but um. But the woodworker is uh, is super excited about his work, his 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 little uh, creations that he makes, and but they 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 just they can't stand just not they can't stand being themselves basically, and so they create this kind of class system with uh, stickers or something. And this one little uh, I, I keep I call him doll, but I don't know if that's the right word. But he uh, goes to the woodworker's shop, and he uh, is ashamed of himself. He's like the worst, and it's not until he comes into Eli's presence that he, you know, he finds out who he is, and Eli loves him just the way he is, and he's like, "Well, who told you that you were you you were condemned?" He's like, "Well, everybody does." He's like, "Who cares what they say?" So this is very interesting. I think that's a very good example of John three sixteen and seventeen. John three seventeen. For God did not send his, world into, uh, send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Now, why is that? Now you're testing your knowledge, John 3, 19 and 20. <laughs> the light has been shine, it shines in the world. The light is shining in the world. And people have said, what to the light? Yeah, actually, they, they like the darkness more. So the thing is, is that God has actually shown up. The kingdom of God is at hand. This kingdom is one of love, compassion, mercy, one of, uh, of openness and, and, and you know, accepting, uh, uh, you know, letting people in. And people have said, no, thank you to that. Now... Of course, that verse means all non-Christians, right? Or is, is it actually a little bit more pervasive than that? Because in Jennifer's story, is Tippy one who conveys the kingdom of heaven? No, not, not at all. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is who is more compassionate? So... Uh, in this section, there's basically two worldviews being introduced. One is this closed-minded Christian worldview, and another one is an open-minded, what kind of worldview? Yeah, I wouldn't say atheistic as much as a science or kind of rational scientific worldview. Now, the thing is, though, and this is very, this is very interesting because 
I think it's interesting for a couple reasons. Is because who shows the most compassion? It, yeah, her dad. Who shows the uh, most care? Her dad. Who has obviously the the better? This is kind of an unfair question, but who has the better relationship with her? Her dad. Now, given those scenarios, which worldview would you follow, and which worldview would you participate in? Okay, exactly. Okay, this is very good though, because now, yeah, he says, question everything. He says, don't believe anything just because someone says something, even if it's me. Question everything. That is a very good, that's a very good thing to say. Even as a Christian, it's a good thing to say. Last year when we talked about idolatry, speaking of questions, what do idols not allow? They allow no questions. No questions whatsoever. But how does Jesus relate to the world? Or what does Christianity allow? It's, it's precisely questions. Now, um, Matthew chapter 22. We have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, and the elders. Three groups who are out to destroy Jesus. And they come asking questions. And, and uh, so Jesus, I think, is first asked about the resurrection. And uh, Jesus says, um, you, you don't know the scriptures nor the power therein. So I love that. So Jesus says, yeah, you think you know the Bible. You don't know the Bible at all. So I, I love that answer. Because I, I wish I, when I was a little kid... I wish I knew that answer. I wish I could have said that to a bunch of people. Um, uh, yeah, because, yeah, there's a lot of experiences in my past that, you know, just, that could have been real helpful. Uh, so Jesus kind of says, you know, basically, uh, you're not really asking questions. And then um, he's asked about paying taxes to Caesar. And of course, I mean, that's a great scenario. He zings them. Um, and, and by asking their questions, though, they actually find out, they don't find out about who Jesus, they don't need to ask questions to find out about who Jesus is because Jesus has already, I mean, shown them. I mean, he's taught with the Bible, at Sermon on the Mount, and he's done all these things. There's really no questions about who Jesus is. I mean, really. Um... But they keep asking who he is because they, they, they don't, they don't want to actually want to believe him. And they don't want to give up their, their, kind of their, their power. So the thing is, though, when they ask questions, who do they find out more about, Jesus or themselves? Themselves. And, and, and do they like what they see? It's kind of a trick question. They do actually like it. They love the darkness more than the light. But they like it in a very kind of hate-filled way. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, crazy. But at the very end of that, chapter 22, after Jesus has answered all their questions, no one is, asks them anymore, him anymore. So when I talk about bidding questions, I, I, mean, I mean real questions, like, 
genuine questions, ones that aren't leading questions or passive aggressive questions, <laughs> real questions like Matthew 15. Get some Matthew. I think I wrote it down. The Canaanite woman. Jesus is in a a place where there is really no kind of Jews. There's a lot of uh, non-Christians, if you want to put it that way. Tyre and Sidon. Close to the Mediterranean, north, up in uh, what would be kind of Lebanon, Syria, maybe even to Turkey. It's kind of just a region area. And uh, outside kind of the promised land. So he meets a Canaanite woman. Now, that's kind of biblical, that's kind of like biblical language. Canaanite woman. Nobody is called a Canaanite in the New Testament. The Canaanites were very popular in the Old Testament as being like the bad guys. So this woman, she's a bad guy. If we, if we were thinking simplistically. But what does she do? She comes up to Jesus. Now again, she has no qualms about who Jesus is. She comes up to Jesus and says, uh, Lord, have mercy on me. Son of David. I think she might have actually had a name attached to him. Son of David, okay, good. He, uh, and what does Jesus do? He doesn't say anything. He's walking until his disciples say, oh man, can you please let this woman be quiet? Shut her up, basically. Now, this is great, though, because this woman has demonstrated a whole bunch of things that are very helpful for us. First of all, she does not give up. She keeps questioning. She keeps petitioning. It's a better way to say it, but petitions and questions often go hand in hand. She keeps petitioning Jesus. And what does Jesus say to her? Which is, is like really awful. You are not one of us. Why would I give something to what? She calls her a, a dog. Oh my gosh. Talk about like, this is, you do not want this on the God billboard. God said... Your dog. You're a dog. Um, okay. But this is very, very profound. After she's been called a dog, what is her actions? And you try to be as specific as possible. But the dog would like to eat. That, that's what she says before. She says that after she does something very profound. She says yes, Lord. Yeah. Okay, so she says yes, that's, that's who I am. We have to explain what dog means in a second, but that, that's just, it's not, it's not great. Either way you put it, you can't really explain it away. It's just, it's a kind of a, it's an awful thing, but it's, it, it's not, okay, whatever it was. But what is she, is she, does anyone, has anyone turned to that, Matthew 15? She says, yeah, but even the dog. Oh, no, but what happens before that? Lord, help me. What, does she do? Where is she in reference to Jesus? Is she behind him, in front of him, on his shoulders? Knelt before him. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think that's amazing. She she came up and knelt before him. So she's somewhere. I mean, you got to picture this in your mind, like a movie. Like, I mean, maybe she's shouting from behind. That's kind of most likely what a lot of people think. You know, hey, or from out from outside. And she came up. So like, she kind of she has to like break through the the disciples. And she comes up and she kneels before Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, think about this. So he either has to stop, fall over her, but totally ignore it, and go around Yeah. Uh, yeah, or run over her. Oh, I mean, a variety of things. 
But if you were to see, if you kind of just take, kind of take a notice of everyone who falls before Jesus, how does Jesus treat them? Kindness, compassion, mercy, love, all this. And then that's when she says, Lord, help me. And that's a very, that's a very interesting thing because she's, she's basically at the point of no return there. I mean, whatever happens after that, it's already been decided. She, there, there is no going back for this woman. The fact that she has to and then fall on her knees before Jesus. Now, of course, I mean, it has to be played out. So, Lord, help me. What do you want me, you know? Yes, even the dogs, yada, yada, yada. And, and what does Jesus say? I mean, he's, he's, this is the only time it's said of a person. Yeah, megalos, yeah. You have great faith. This woman has great faith. Now, remember who she is? She's Canaanite. She's one of the bad guys. She is a pagan. Yeah, she's, she's a non-Christian. <laughs> I mean, at the beginning of the story. Holy smokes. So now we think about Jennifer's, Jennifer Fulweiler's story. And what we see in the beginning of this story is there are some very profound moments that are actually what, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, more Christian than the Christian people in this story so far. Now, that's, I, I, that's not to bang on the Christians, but that is to lay the groundwork of how, how we can relate to people. Because what we find out, whether it be the Canaanite woman or our friends or whatever, they, they have these experiences. Things are happening in people's lives that are very profound. And at the core, it, it is, is not just human uh, things happening, but God is at work. And so as we, as we kind of think about this and, and we think about talking about our faith, as we approach people with love, compassion, mercy, we aren't doing it uh, for any other reason to love, show compassion, to show mercy. Which goes into a whole nother level. Okay, we still got time. So a whole nother level of the story. Why in the world do her Christian friends, Tippy, whatever, relate to her? Why do they have a relationship with her? And we only know this because when it, she says, I'm, I'm an atheist, we know what happens to the relationship. Why are they relating to her? To make her a Christian. Their relationship is a means to an end. And it's exactly against what Jesus says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, of course, as Christians who, who love Jesus, seek the truth, and, 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 you know, and, and follow Christ every day, I mean, we're going to talk about our faith. We're, we're going to talk about Jesus. But... If they, if they say no, we have to ask ourselves, you know, was I just loving this person to make them a Christian? Or was I loving them because I love them? And of course, who do we look towards for our, our leadership on this one? Jesus. What does he do to those who reject him? Yeah. Krista. Krista, I see... Is it that sometimes, as, as you said, um, the, the fear or that you just um, don't want that they go to hell? 
Right. You know, and I think more and more, I think hell must be terrible because what Jesus suffered, was it not that he would like to spare us from hell, only to see in his suffering how hell is really? Yeah, well, I, you know, I don't know if, what Je- if Jesus was thinking about us on the cross. I know he was thinking about his broken relationship with God. In fact, uh, there might be a Mother Teresa quote in a margin comment soon that actually says this. Uh, Mother Teresa uh, kind of expounded on Jesus' uh, words from the cross, and my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the thing that she, she was saying is that uh, when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the thing that he was the most afraid of was this complete brokenness from God. And that, that for him was a very kind of overwhelming experience, terrifying. Uh, in Mark, I mean, Jesus is this kind of this, he seems to be very afraid. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I think on that it's true. You know, whether he was thinking about us and, and any kind of broken relationship with that, probably, because, I mean, he's a pretty smart guy and he thinks a lot of different things. But, um, but I, I think in the, in the moment for sure, based on what kind of his words from the cross were, uh, he, he was thinking about us, but what he was thinking about us was based on uh, forgiveness, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Again, so he's, he is intercessing for us even at the moment we, we hate him the most. Which is, I mean, that, that, that takes a long time to really kind of accept because it's really hard on me to imagine myself at the cross pounding nails in Jesus' hands. I mean, that's just, that's overwhelming. It's hard. But, of course, Jesus, that doesn't stop him from relating. And, 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 and so... So that's one thing. I mean, that's what, that's what we know for sure, what he was thinking about us. But of course, in, in, his, in, his, uh, in Matthew and Mark, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, you know, he's really, he's really lamenting his broken relationship with God, which of course is an example for us. I mean, that, that's something that's important. But um, in John, he's, he's pretty stoic, though, I think. Not, not to overblow him, but he's kind of like, you can't act, he says to Pilate, you can't take my life unless I lay it down, and I'm the only one who can take it back. And he's kind of this, he's a pretty powerful guy. So, All right, Holly. Um, well, you think, I'm just thinking about atheists and their separation from God, that they're, they perceive that they have separated themselves from God, but Right. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So, so the, the crises, like this, this would be the good question. Because, um, you know, like for instance, Jennifer's stories is pretty good because she, I'm a pretty good person, I'm pretty comfortable. There's no real crisis. Okay. Now the thing is though, underlying all that, there was actually a crisis. And the only thing that would actually bring that out in Jennifer's life is a close relationship. Okay, one where that Jennifer was safe enough to actually kind of articulate that. Now, even for Jennifer, though, how long in her relationship with Joe did it take for that to come out? It wasn't really until after she had a, ch- a child. 
Plus, she acknowledged knowing plenty of people who seem very comfortable in their atheist. Right. Which is, like. Yep. Now again, it goes back. Yeah, it goes back to the authority. Again, an atheist says, "Well, why should I believe you?" You're well. So you're a sinner, and you need a God. You need God to bridge that that gap. Well, why should I believe you? Why, you know, I, I mean, I pay my taxes, donate to charity, uh, you know, help out. Now, of course, you know, what we're going to say to them is, well, no one can be as good as, as God is. God, you know, having that kind of conversation with somebody, though, is really only based on a real relationship or a real openness from that person. And that openness generally is from either a, a crisis already in their life um, or a, just kind of a genuine kind of curiosity and, 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 and uh, kind of, uh, you know, journeying into, into any kind of faith or spirituality. So th- this is something that's very hard. So your, your, your question, you know, so the question is, what's my first word to people? who I know is an atheist or, or doesn't believe in Christianity or, or whatever. Do we go, or our first words say, you're a sinner. Uh, yeah, no, first of all, it's not a fun message and it's not what Jesus actually says. Jesus says uh, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now that means a lot. There's a whole bunch of stuff packed in there. Okay? And then he says what? Repent and believe in the good news. Now, repent, of course, we all simply understand as, I'm sorry for sinning and I, please forgive me. Of course, that's not what Jesus only means. Repenting is a whole transformation of life. And, and, and of course, confession of sins and, and uh, you know, confession of, of just not being in charge. I mean, that would be a more simpler way to say it. And believing the good news, well, what is the good news? What's the gospel? Well, the gospel is the fact that the, the kingdom of God is at hand. You've got to go back then. So God announces the kingdom of God being at hand or the kingdom of heaven at hand. And for, for most people, if you articulate what the kingdom of God is, that is actually here, even in a theoretical sense, they would say, well, that sounds pretty good. You know, a place where, where, uh, where love abounds and compassion and mercy and forgiveness. I mean, that's all, but for a lot of people, that's just kind of words, noise coming out of someone's mouth because of the experience that they've had like the camp experience or Tippy's experience. So there is a, a dissonance between kind of the word and the reality. And as the church, the church is to confess the kingdom of God at hand, not only in word, but also in life and deed. And so for people who are, you know, who a great story is uh, I grew up in Wisconsin and there's a, a Hmong. Do you guys know who the Hmong are? The Hmong are a people group who don't have their own country and they live in Southeast Asia. They helped the United States in the Vietnam War. And the United States said, well, you know, we're going to leave now, and uh, that which means you're all going to die. But if you can get out, we'll probably take you. Which is uh, maybe I'm a little too cynical on that too, but. To hear some of the stories of the people, the Hmong people coming coming out of this area is extraordinary. However, when they came they came to Wisconsin, no, why they came to Wisconsin, I have no idea. But that's a peculiar thing. Actually, you can blame the Lutherans. 
You can blame the Lutherans. Lutherans were, were actually one of the, the, the actually the Lutherans were, uh, which is again a great story for Christian love. Of course, it's not articulated very well, but uh, there was a group of Lutherans who uh, saw the scenario and they sponsored uh, the Hmong refugees. And once that happened, it just kind of blew up. So, beside the point. When they come, they, they came to the United States, and uh, uh, so Christians start talking to them about sin. Guess what? The Hmong culture has no understanding or concept of sin. So they, so it, it's hilarious. There is a, uh, there's actually a documentary that was made, I think, in the late 90s. And they actually have this pastor talking to this Hmong family, and they're laughing at him because it sounds so ridiculous. And for me, I was like, oh my gosh, that, that had to have been so frustrating for this man because he seemed like a genuinely nice person. But he started talking to them about sin, their disconnect from God, and they, they just were like, no, that, that's strange. You're, they, had, they had their own set of gods, and, and what he was talking about, you know, the, the God he believed in, they were like, that doesn't seem so great. My, God, my gods probably could take your God. Because my gods do something for me. <laughs> if I need something, I go get something from them. And, and so it was very interesting as, as you talk about sin. Now, again, they have no understanding of sin. But if you were to talk to them about uh, brokenness or uh, of death, hatred, they, they would understand that. Yeah, I mean, these people have experienced evil. Real evil, and they and they want they they need to know the antidote. So this is something where again all hatred and, and uh, brokenness and death, evil, that's all from a result of sin entering into the world. But if we approach people with these, which I would it was kind of the four spiritual laws. You can look those up. Th- those aren't super bad. Uh, they're just kind of used in a coercive way most of the time. But the one thing about them is that they just speak in a very dogmatic way. You're a sinner. To the Hmong, what's a sinner? Sinner is someone who doesn't obey God or has a broken relationship with God. No, I don't. I have a perfect relationship with these gods. I mean, it, it did not take long for this pastor to be kind of flummoxed. So anyways, so, um, so now back to Holly's question. It's, uh, uh, very, again, when we talked about our stories of conversion last week, arguments are, uh, were used maybe one time by Paul on Mars Hill and with mixed results. So a lot of the atheism that's out there, or when it's talked about, it's usually in a like, form of debate. <laughs> The God delusion, God is not great. Those books are all kind of to argue something. If you take a look at Acts or even early Christian history, very rarely are the Christians trying to argue the resurrection. Now, I didn't bring this up because I didn't think we were going to go. I didn't, well, maybe I'm on a tangent now. But um, the argument or what is known like through uh, a guy by the name of Justin Martyr, uh, him especially, uh, 
Oh, oh no, uh, there was this guy. Oh man, I can't remember. He was a he was, he was a kind of a, a a reporter to the emperor, and he talked about how these people even love those who are not part of their community. Philo, maybe I can't remember. Doesn't matter. Anyways, so basically, uh, uh, he says they have these silly beliefs, but they do these really kind of extraordinary, crazy things. Now, for for the Roman society, you don't do that. You only really kind of you you treat like those who have virtue with virtue, and those who aren't with you know. So, um, (laughs) so you read these early accounts, and, and what is actually telling. The truth about Jesus is, is in fact, what, what they're doing. You hear these rumors about these people. And so that causes people to wonder. And causing people to wonder is a form of, of, of kind of crisis where they say, do I, do I really know what I believe? Or is there something else? Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it, but it's the, the thing is though I think uh, on a more fundamental level that might happen kind of serendipitously, kind of just kind of by chance. Uh, but I think most of the, most of the change is always based on relationship, like a real relationship with somebody. So when you when you grow up in the, like I was born in the faith, grew up in the faith, married into the faith. Yeah. Balpo, yeah, I mean, it, like all my friends were pastor's children or teacher's kids. Right. I think this book and these kind of experiences, or <clears throat> it really helps me think about what I have no experience. Right. Ever, yes, things have gone up and down in my life. But yeah, right. One wondered about things, but I've no experience with this atheistic point of view. Yeah, right. It's, been, it's really helpful to hear a story from someone who's experienced yeah. the exact opposite of mine, I guess. And what I think your point is, which I learned living in New Jersey, was asking people more questions about what they think about. Yeah. That's how you get, then they don't feel, they, like, what do you think about? If you, you're, you know, I, they would know I was a Christian. And right. they'd be like, what is it that you think? It, it, well, they don't feel used. I think it's one of the things yeah, that betrayed. Right? Jennifer felt betrayed. Much at all. The world, the world is so busy. A lot of people you don't have to contemplate about things. You just keep busy all the time. Uh, and you will find out Jennifer does a good job of that. Right. Yeah. But it, it's interesting. I, I, it seemed like people were way more open to talking about things if I was opening. Listening yeah. Right. About their experience, which was so un- unique for mine. I guess that. Yeah, that's great. I uh, um, we should we should get going. Um, all right. So the existential. Oh, Jennifer's father, by the way. He's. I think he's still an atheist. So, it's a it's a very interesting, real thing. And uh, I haven't watched all the web episodes, but he the first one is it's a very interesting thing. He, uh, so I would recommend watching it because he's. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. I mean, it's basically main her, her husband, her father, meet her kids. She's got all these kids now. But, um, yeah, she, but the one thing, too, about, Kirby brings that up, and we'll talk about that later, but that's just something to think about. 
is how much the world does not contemplate anything. She she started contem- what 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 caused her to slow down and think about things. Baby. Yeah, the baby. She had all that time. <laughs> Makes people think about what the Kardashians are doing. Yeah, right. Something like that. I mean, the world so it, that that's a fascinating <laughs> thing, and that's something. Then again, well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Pastor Bukes will be teaching next week, and he actually. So keep on moving to the next uh, section. Although we're going to explore a little bit more about the existential crisis itself, his her darkness, her looming darkness. Yep. I will get some. Yes, I do. I, I'll I'll make them real quick. Wait one minute. But it's it's a page uh, fifty fifty one. Yeah, thirty four to fifty one. But again, I think most of you will just keep reading past that. It's, yeah. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.